Welcome to today's edition of the Rush 24-7 Podcast. Well, 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 well. So we're going to get it all kicked off the sham show in the United States Senate ostensibly about impeaching Donald Trump, what it's really about. I mean, if the Democrats' dream could come true, you will not have a chance to vote for Donald Trump in November because he's not going to be there. That's what they're trying to affect. And I got no chance of doing that. That's the objective. So they're... They're attempting to do other things, and their their primary focus today, and I'm going to lay this all out for you so that you have no confusion whatsoever about it. They are targeting four Republican senators to vote with them to go against McConnell's rules to open it up to new evidence and new witnesses. Now, along those lines, I want to remind you of something, because I mentioned it yesterday. I said that they are looking for four Jeff Flakes. You remember what happened with Jeff Flake and the Kavanaugh hearings? Jeff Flake wimped out. Now, he's a good buddy, as much as anybody can be a good buddy, of Delaware Senator Chris Coons. And Coons was working on him outside the hearing room when they would take breaks. Come on, Jeff, you know what the right thing to do here is. You know this guy's a serial pervert. And Flake hating Trump and mad at Trump that Flake was not going to be reelected, couldn't even win a primary contest in Arizona, was susceptible. What really turned Flake, if you remember, and you probably don't, which is why I, Rush Limbaugh, am here. You remember Flake was uh, outside the hearing room and all the senators were going back and forth to their orifices. And to do that, they have to get in elevators and get on trams and trains and knows what. Well, a bunch of feminazi banshees trapped Flake in an elevator and CNN was right there. They had been tipped off. CNN was part of the feminazi banshee brigade. As he was coming out of a Kavanaugh hearing, and he was scared to death. He was as scared of these women as these young boys are apparently afraid of having sex. And by the way, that new book we talked about, you know why these young boys are afraid of having sex? I, I, I forgot to mention the the payoff. It's porn. They're watching porn. And they all think, my God, this is what women expect, and I don't have it. Oh my! And they're scared. They're scared to get undressed. We're talking 16-year-olds. Back in my day, you couldn't wait to get undressed, no matter what the fear. But today, scared of having sex because all they've seen, they've all seen porn and they're worried that they can't possibly uh, match up with Johnny Blue Steel or, you know, whatever his name. I don't know. I don't watch porn, so I don't know what these guys' names are. Cold Blue Steel, is that one one guy's nickname? Uh, no, that's what Viagra does for you. I'm sorry, I got, I got confused. So Flake was terrified. He turned whiter than your average white cake. He was scared to death. CNN was right there, and they had their own cameras, and they were screaming at him. And he was white as a sheet. He could have been a Klansman for all anybody knew. And then the drive-bys got it, and they put it on a 24-7 loop. And it looked like... Jeff Flake was singularly targeted because he was a bad guy. 
And, of course, he fell hook, line, and sinker. And he started wavering on Kavanaugh. If you remember, it was Jeff Flake. You know what? I think we do need to bring the FBI back in. I think we do need to have more investigations because of all of the revelations here from Christine Ballsy Ford and Avenatti, who, by the way, remember this guy was (laughs) being heralded as a potential Democrat presidential nominee because he could be the Democrat version of Trump, at least what the Democrats think of Trump. So Avenatti apparently has been caught pilfering funds from 170 different people that had trust accounts or had, at his law firm. Uh, this guy is in deep doo-doo. So, but he was one of the heroes in the Kavanaugh imbroglio, <laughs> and they were using Flake. They literally scared the guy to death. Well, this is what they're going to try to do. I, I'm, I'm reminding you of this. To prepare you. This thing doesn't kick off for another 50 minutes. And between now and then, you know, they've got these four Republican senators targeted to vote with them. You know, McConnell announced rules to, to, to hasten everything, speed it up, uh, have a lot of the uh, trial <laughs> happen. You know, uh, closing day will be midnight. The close of the day will be midnight. The theory, nobody will be watching. Uh, and so they're going to be pulling whatever similar kind of tactics they have to in order to secure these four recalcitrant Republicans. Cory Gardner is one, Martha McSally is another, Republicans that are thought to be in uh, in trouble. You, you Republicans, I want to, I just want to tell you something. You're not in trouble. The 2020 turnout is going to be nothing like the 2018 turnout. The 2018 turnout that gave the Democrats the House is not going to be right. You're going to have Trump on the ballot. You're going to have me- Donald Trump is going to win double digits black support. Donald Trump is going to kick butt in this election. And nobody sees it yet except us who are able to read the tea leaves and just simply follow basic public opinion. Now, you Republicans have no need to be worried is my point. Especially worried if you align with Trump. Your problem's going to be if you break with Trump, that's where your problem's going to be. Look at Flake. Ultimately, that's what happened to him. So I just I just wanted to prep you for that. And here's Chuck U. Schumer. This morning, uh, he had a little press conference. Grab audio summit number 22. Here he is pleading with the Republicans and moderates to join the Democrats. We will rest easy if we know we have required the truth to come out. Unfortunately, in the minority, that's not solely up to us. We need four Republicans who are willing to stand up for what's right, who are willing to stand up for what America wants and needs, and not simply bow down to the president, who, you know, most Americans know what this guy's all about. Do most Americans really believe he wants a fair trial? I don't think so. Most Americans understand that you and your Democrat buddies are so far over the edge on this that it's you they want no part of, Chuck, you. You may think you represent a majority of the American people and the American people's thinking, but you're nowhere close. They simply don't see the president the way you do when they compare you to the president. They want no part of you.
They want no part of your policies that we had for eight years under Obama. They don't want any part of it. They don't want Adam Schiff ruling the day. They don't want any part of that. So you can live in your dreamland all you want about how you represent a majority of mainstream Americans. You're not even close to mainstream America. You're on the East Coast. You're on the left coast. You maybe have a couple of little cities in between, and that's it. You know, Martha McSally, when, when, when Manu Raju, the CNN reporter, confronted her, this is exactly what they were doing. They were trying to run a preliminary Jeff Flake operation on Martha McSally. They're trying to trap him, you know, trap him in an elevator, trap him in the hallway or whatever with a camera nearby to look at them and grab them scared and frightened or what have you. And Martha McSally did the right thing. She said to Manu Rush, I'm not going to talk to you. You're a liberal hack, Manu. That's the way to deal with this. Do not doubt me. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to circle back to this. But there's some things I want to get to first. Primarily the president in Davos today. The president in Davos today is speaking for America. The president in Davos today is speaking for the future of America. It isn't today's Democrats. It isn't today's leftists. It's the president. He was on fire. And it may be one of his finest speeches of his entire administration. That's saying something because the State of the Union address last year was a bang-up great speech. It might have been the year before. What, what, One of the two. But I want to, we've got some sound bites from it that you have to hear. I want you to hear, but I want you to hear what I said yet, because if anybody doubts that I know this guy, and I don't mean know him to say, hey, Mr. President, how are you? Play golfer. I know the man. I know who he is. I know how he thinks. I know how he looks at things without having to ask him. That's how I know Donald Trump. And I want to set up some of the excerpts of the speech we have by reminding you what I told you yesterday that I thought he would do and say in his Davos speech today. So here we go. Audio soundbite number one to three, two, one. He's going to go to Davos today. May already be there speaking to him tomorrow. And he's going to tell them what's coming next. I think a very important point for as many people as possible to understand is, like I said in the first hour, the idea that America is not the good guys and that there are prominent Americans, primarily Democrats, but a lot of them who think America is the problem in the world. And the problem stems from our size. It stems from our power, both military and economic, and that we're not the good guys. I just, that is so foreign to me. As much good as we do for the world, as much good as we do for ourselves, and we have no competitor, in increasing the standard of living, life expectancy, economic prosperity, reduction in poverty. There's no nation even close. And yet this is seen as a problem by a lot of people. And it irks Trump. It's always bothered him. And it's one of the things that he is attempting to reverse. Make America great again. This is exactly what bothers him. It's bothered him for a long time as a citizen, like it's bothered me, like it's bothered you. This view of America that has been adopted by the Washington establishment, by our civil service corps, the ambassadorial corps, that somehow we're the problem, that we are the destabilizing agent in the world. And it's a bunch, it's a crock. 
So setting up, this was me on yesterday's program. Let's go to the president this morning in Davos. And by the way, they love him in Davos. And you know why? Because he's been right. He talked, Davos is uh, the industrialists and the capitalists. And there's a bunch of leftists at this thing, too. And it's, it's, it's a... It's a Swiss chalet bash and party. The only thing missing is the yachts that you can't get there. They keep them down in the Greek Isles or in St. Bart's. But the guys that own the yachts are there. And Trump has been going and he's telling him two years ago what he was going to do. He's telling him two years what can be possible. You know, it amazes me that people that have this kind of money are this dense and stupid about it. And somehow fall prey to all of this liberal thinking and the conventional wisdom. And I fall prey to it because it's so dominant everywhere. And Trump stands alone, tell them, no, it's wrong. America is going to be great. We're coming back. Let me tell you how we're going to do it. Well, he's done it. And they love the guy in Davos now because he's been right about it. And it's all been beneficial to them. And it's not just individual wealthy people. I'm told it's 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 governments and a number of uh, institutions which have been sucked in. I mean, if the United States elects a guy like Obama, then the world thinks, "Wow, the United States wants to go socialist. We better go socialist. We got to stay friends with the U.S." And even if they think it's the wrong thing to do, they do it because they're afraid of being shut out by the U.S. Also, Trump has come along and said, "Well, we're not socialists, and we're never going to be socialists." And that was an aberration. It isn't going to happen. We are going to be, once again, the leaders of the world, and you can be part of it. You can be with us. We have no reason to not want you to be part of it, blah, blah. And they are all on board. So here, let's start with audio sound bites from the president today, this morning, in Davos. When I spoke at this forum two years ago, I told you that we had launched the great American comeback. Today, I'm proud to declare that the United States is in the midst of an economic boom, the likes of which the world has never seen before. America is thriving. America is flourishing. And yes, America is winning again like never before. Just last week alone, the United States concluded two extraordinary trade deals. The agreement with China and the United States-Mexico-Canada agreement, the two biggest trade deals ever made. These agreements represent a new model of trade for the 21st century, agreements that are fair, reciprocal, and that prioritize the needs of workers and families. And he made sure, he made sure to point out that their prior globalist hero, and there may have been some genuine feelings among this crowd that Obama was a hero, but I, I still believe that much of the Obama mystique was social. It was, I mean, how do you say no? How do you oppose the first African-American United States president? I think that accounted for a lot of what we all thought was a wild and massive embrace of Obama. I actually don't think it was. In some places it was. I mean, don't, don't misunderstand, but I think a lot of people who were up front Wanting to bask in the glow really were not, quote unquote, on board. Trump made it a, a, an objective of his to point out that Obama left the American economy in a dismal state. America's economic turnaround has been nothing short of spectacular when I took office three years ago. America's economy was in a rather dismal state. 
The experts predicted a decade of very, very slow growth, or maybe even negative growth, high unemployment and a dwindling workforce, and very much a shrinking middle class. Millions of hardworking, ordinary citizens felt neglected, betrayed, forgotten. They were rapidly losing faith in the system. Exactly. What were they being told? America's best days are behind us. America's best days may not have been legitimate. We're in a new era of decline mandated by world conditions. The United States finally must pay the price for all of its sins that it's committed that led to its superpower status. Yada, yada, yada. And... Obama's crowds are, we're the ones to manage the decline so the pain will be as limited as possible on you. That's just three years ago that Trump came along and said, this is not necessary. It's not necessary to see the country this way. It isn't necessary to see the world this way. There's no reason in the world the United States has to be seen as in decline. Got to take a break. There's much more, and we'll get to it right after the break, so hang on. Well, look at this, folks. By the way, greetings back. El Rushbow executing assigned host duties flawlessly because that is what I do. So liberal hack Manu Raju attempted, after bombing out with Martha McSally, he confronted Mitt Romney mere moments ago. And this is how it went. I think the Democrats make a mistake. Wait a minute. Hold, 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 hold it. Hold it. Stop. Forgot to ask the question. Put the question on there. Uh, Manu Raju, liberal hack, CNN said, do you have any concerns, Senator Romney? Do you have any concerns about the changes in the rules compared to the Clinton impeachment rules that Senator McConnell has made? Clearly, you've got to be very upset about that. Are you concerned at all? I think the Democrats make a mistake when they cry outrage time and time again. If everything is an outrage, then nothing is an outrage. But if they bring up witness amendments, for instance, I'm going to say no. I've already indicated I am interested to hear from John Bolton, perhaps among others, but I'm not going to be making that vote today. I'm going to make that vote after the opening. Ah, so Romney, as of now, has held firm. This business on Bolton. I don't know. Well, we'll get to explain all that as the program unfolds today. But uh, so they, this is what they're trying to do. Now, this has not yet approached the Jeff Flake treatment. They had a bunch of deranged feminazi banshees wearing uh, vagina hats uh, to try to scare these guys. But it's it's going to come to that at some point. That Romney, um, everything's an outrage. Nothing is an outrage, which is which is pretty much true. Look, Romney, Romney knows Trump's not going to lose in an election. It doesn't make any sense. Now, hang on, we'll finish here in just a second. Although the actual trial is not going to get underway today, they're going to they're going to debate the rules that McConnell has proposed, and that's the Democrats are going, you know, batting over that. I'll explain all this in due course, but I, 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 I wanted to present to you the, the contrast. This, this impeachment business, folks, is totally manufactured, made up. It is not linked to anything true. There's not an impeachable offense that's been committed. There was no Russian collusion. There was nothing that these people, you know, they're talking about unfairness. They can't call witnesses. These people denied the Republicans the opportunity to call witnesses during Schiff's basement hearings. Uh, back in the falls. I mean, this is it's just it's it's a it's a it's a t- 
typical, classic Democrat partisan maneuver, and they've simply corrupted the entire impeachment uh, process here. As they're, but it's, this is not where America is. America may be interested, may be fascinated, but Trump is where America is. Trump is about what America is, and making that even better. Uh, and don't if you don't if you don't want to believe me, and I know that you do, but if you need a second to the notion that these people in Davos are embracing Trump and eating it up. Because Trump has shown them they were all wrong when they signed on to Obamaism and United Nationsism. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin this morning on CNBC's Squawk Box. He's on there with the co-host Joe Kernan, who said to Sorkin, "You said President Trump is being embraced." Embraced in Davos? called the new Davos man. The construct of what it used to be to be a Davos man of multilateral negotiations, of everything being... And he sort of turned the whole thing on its head, and I think there was an expectation two or three years ago here that it wasn't going to work. And everybody, dare I say, has been thus far at least been proven wrong. Exactly. Two or three years ago, eh, it was thought it wasn't going to work. What wasn't going to work? Make America great again wasn't going to work? Reviving the U.S. economy wasn't going to work? Who in the world says America isn't going to work? Answer, Democrats. Quite simply, American leftists, the worldwide establishment who don't want America to work. America stands in the way of globalist ambitions of people who are not Americans. Cutting down the the world's lone superpower is... Fundamental. It's required if you are going to institute some mad dream of a globalist regime or government that you are part of. You cannot have a globalist government if the most powerful economy and the freest society on earth is not part of it. And so subordinating the United States, getting rid of borders, the whole concept of nations, makes perfect sense why people of that bent would try to convince people America's best days are behind them. America's glory days are over. It's time for new thinking. Donald Trump has come along and said to that. So let's go back to Trump's remarks Now that you've heard it confirmed that he is being embraced because everybody there was proven wrong. They didn't think Trump was going to be able to do it. They didn't think Trump knew how to do it. They thought Trump was a bunch of bluster, you know, make America great again. They thought that was white nationalism, which is an absolute crock. Here is Trump telling them how he changed the American economy with a blue collar boom And he pointed out to this crowd how all this is impacting millennials. Since my election, America has gained over 7 million jobs. The unemployment rate is now less than 3.5 percent. We're concentrating and creating the most inclusive economy ever to exist. We are lifting up Americans of every race, color, religion and creed. Since I took office, more than 2 million millennials have gotten jobs, and their wages have grown by nearly 5% 
annually, a number that was unthinkable. This is a blue-collar boom. Since my election, the net worth of the bottom half of wage earners has increased by plus 47 percent, three times faster than the increase for the top 1 percent. Real median household income is at the highest level ever recorded. The American dream is back, bigger, better, and stronger than ever before. Damn right it is. And it's, once again, the envy of the world, and it's not unreachable for these people. All they have to do is abandon their own socialism, which very, very difficult to do. But Boris Johnson in the U.K. is doing his own impersonation of Trump. And even talking about moving the House of Lords out of London. I mean, that'd be like moving the Senate to Omaha just to separate it from everything else. Anyway, you heard Trump talk about since he took office, more than two million millennials have gotten jobs. Wages have grown by five percent. We created the most inclusive economy ever to exist. We're lifting up Americans of every race, color, religion, and creed. The Wall Street Journal had a story. Let's see. It would be, uh, this is two days ago now. And it was a summary of various polling data out there. Presidential approval numbers. Listen to this. Trump has an 83% approval rating among farmers and ranchers. He has a 34% approval rate with African-Americans. He has a 47% approval rate Hispanics. He has a 90% approval rate with Republicans. Now, with all of that, how is it that the man cannot reach 50% or higher in all of these drive-by media presidential approval polls. And these numbers were taken after the announcement of the new trade deal with the United States and the CHICOMs and the the replacement for, for NAFTA. According to a monthly poll from agricultural trade publication Farm Journal... That was released Sunday. 83% of farmers and ranchers approve of the president's job. Now, I know that the majority of Americans are not farmers and ranchers, but it's more than you think. But 34% approval blacks. Do you realize double-digit black support for a Republican presidential Can you realize the upset that would cause? 47% approval among uh, Hispanics. The, the point is that people are aware they're living it. I have a guy, a friend of mine. You ask him how you doing, you know, oh, doing great. He says, I'm living the dream. That's what he says now to everybody when they ask him how he's doing. Living the dream. And he's not he's not meaning to say it in a political sense. Life's good. I'm living the dream. It's different than saying, fine, how are you? Okay, brief timeout. We will conclude uh, with, with uh, let's see, have... Um, a couple of more here, and then we'll start the summary of where they are with this impeachment business and what's got the Democrats all riled up. And we'll get to your phone calls, too. So hang on. Lots coming up when we get back. Doing what I was born to do. Rush Limbaugh and the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. It's great to have you here, as it always is. Bounds and bounds of appreciation for you 
and the fact that you are here every day. Now, one of the, another reason why I'm spending some time on the president's Davos speech, drive-by media did not cover it, folks. As far as I know, maybe a few excerpts here from it that they could use to present it out of context. If Fox might have covered it, don't know. They're six hours ahead, so uh, I'm not, but, but best intel I have is the drive-bys didn't cover it. And people uh, who well, just need to hear this, need to hear the President of the United States describe the current state of the country and its future. So we have two more. Now, you may have heard that Greta Thunberg was over there and she was preaching her sorrow at climate change and, and and upset that these people aren't doing enough to save the planet for her and her generation. And she chided them and saying, if you can't just you must think of doing everything you do for your children, which is what everybody does anyway. But. I think it's quite telling that a 16-year-old from Sweden can so rapidly ascend to prominent speaker role on any global issue. The bench must be pretty thin. I understand that they think young children tug at the heartstrings and are especially persuasive. But here's Trump, undaunted and unafraid to talk about her and this issue the way it needs to be discussed. We must reject the perennial prophets of doom and their predictions of the apocalypse. They are the heirs of yesterday's foolish fortune tellers. They predicted an overpopulation crisis in the 1960s, mass starvation in the 70s, and an end of oil in the 1990s. These alarmists always demand the same thing, absolute power to dominate, transform, and control every aspect of our lives. We will never let radical socialists destroy our economy, wreck our country, or eradicate our liberty. America will always be the proud, strong, and unyielding bastion of freedom. In America, we understand what the pessimists refuse to see, that a growing and vibrant market economy focused on the future lifts the human spirit and excites creativity strong enough to overcome any challenge. It's not hard. It's not hard to see. It's not hard to see. The history is on the side of that argument. Works every time it's tried. And yet, the prophets of doom are really, as he said, they're simply people who seek to dominate and control every aspect of our lives on the premise that we're not responsible enough, that we're not wise enough, smart enough, that we are left to our own devices. We're destroying the climate. We're destroying the planet. We're destroying the food. We're destroying the animals. We're destroying everything simply by making our lives better. Now, other presidents have extolled the virtues of America, but not like that. Trump just laced these people. He's talking about Paul Ehrlich and the population bomb and his predictions back in the 1970s that we wouldn't even reach this year as a civilization because we would have all run out of food by now with rampant population growth. None of it has been even close to true, and these people are still alive and they remain gurus on the left. Mass starvation, mass population, oil was going to run out in the 1990s. None of it has been true, and none of the predictions they're making today are going to come true. Calling them out like this is what 
past presidents haven't done. Why? Who knows? I don't think it's complicated. I think it's fear of going against what is purportedly conventional wisdom as echoed by media. And finally, the last bite here that we have for you, the president tells all of these globalists, and there are a bunch of them in the audience at Davos, that America is by far the strongest economic power in the world and that they should emulate it. Shouldn't be afraid of it. Emulate it. Turn your people loose in your countries. Unleash them. Human nature is human nature. Everybody wants to improve their lives. Everybody wants a higher standard of living for themselves and their kids. Everybody wants a longer life expectancy. Turn them loose. Learn the lessons of American capitalism. This is, this is a total 180 from past American establishment figures and presidents apologizing for American capitalism. Trump is one of the biggest boosters, and here it is. The United States is by far the strongest economic power in the world. It's not even close. Today, I hold up the American model as an example to the world of a working system of free enterprise that will produce the most benefits for the most people in the 21st century and beyond. Today, I urge other nations to follow our example and liberate your citizens from the crushing weight of bureaucracy. In the first half of 2019, the United States attracted nearly one quarter of all foreign direct investment in the world. Think of that. 25% of all foreign investment all over the world came into the United States, and that number is increasing rapidly. To every business looking for a place where they are free to invest, build, thrive, innovate and succeed. There is no better place on earth than the United States. There you have it. Donald Trump in Davos today singing the praises and virtues of America and boosting it in the face of globalists and socialists who have been working to undermine this nation with American partners found most prominently in the Democrat Party. Okay, so on to impeachment now. The Senate is in session, and McConnell just announced the basic premise behind his rules, and Chuck U. Schumer is now complaining and whining and moaning about how there's a cover-up, and the president doesn't want the truth to come out, and they got to be witnesses. And so this is a theme that the Democrats have come up with, that this is a cover-up, not letting them call additional witnesses is a cover-up. The president's engaged. This is, this is exactly what they were hoping to achieve with the whistleblower. When the whistleblower first touted this phone call that the uh, president had with the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, they did not think that the transcript of the phone call be released. They were going to demand it. They think Trump would never do it to protect presidential privilege and so forth. And they were then lining up to say he's covering up because that was the magic word for Nixon. Cover-up, cover-up, obstruction. Well, Trump released the transcript. That alone should end this trial. The transcript, the whole subject, what happened to call is widely known. There is no cover-up. There no, there's no attempt to hide anything here. But the Democrats are simply using the term cover-up to explain why they're not being allowed to change the rules. 
Senate does not conduct investigations and impeachment. They simply do the trial. Impeachment's the province of the House. They do the evidence gathering, and after that, then they produce their articles of impeachment. Well, these two articles are zip, zero, nada. There's not an impeachable offense in them. The Democrats want this trial turned into a circus so that it never ends, and they want the they want the illusion that there's new evidence to be found out there and it's going to be introduced here. And McConnell's telling Pound Sand, that's not what we do here. So McConnell's complaining and whining about the cover-up. So that's basically what's happening here. But I'm going to give you more detail about it. Got to take a break now. So hang on. Be patient. Be right back. Chuck U. Schumer, all concerned. The Republicans have not explained why less evidence is better than more. There isn't any more evidence. That the House couldn't find anything more than what they've got. The Senate's not the place for it. Anyway, we'll get into all this. I say California, by the way, is on the verge. You ready for this? Of declaring Tylenol a carcinogen. I'm not making it up. Another reason to get ready to move. Welcome back, my friends. Great to have you here. This the Rush Limbaugh program, and it's a EIB network. And it is uh, known as many things, including the fastest three hours in media, the telephone number. If you want to be on the program's 800-282-2882, the email address, lrushbow at eibnet.us. Let me share with you the benefit of my wisdom, which is born of intelligence guided by experience. The Senate trial is this, this... This charade, this impeachment trial, is underway, and the stage now is debating all these Democrat motions they're making to change the rules that McConnell has announced to allow them to call witnesses. This is going to go on a long time today, but I'm going to tell you what the outcome will be. Mitch McConnell's rules will define the trial. The Democrats are not going to succeed in pressuring McConnell. doesn't matter what they say about him. It doesn't matter how he's portrayed. They are not going to succeed in getting him to change his perception, his view of the Senate's role in this entire fiasco. Now, if you want to watch whatever number of hours it takes for all of this to transpire, you're more than welcome to. But I'm just telling you, at the end of the day, this impeachment trial will be conducted under the rules that Mitch McConnell has established. You know why? Mitch McConnell runs the Senate. The Republicans run the Senate. Adam Schiff has nothing to say about what happens in the Senate. Chuck U. Schumer has nothing to say about what happens in the Senate because he doesn't run it. They are left grasping at air desperate to find four Republican senators to give them 51 votes to allow new witnesses and new evidence and all of that. Here are a couple of uh, sound bites from the turtle himself mere moments ago. Uh, it may be, the turtle may be the kind of perfect person to handle something like this. He, he's not, he's not going to be He's not going to be moved off of his vision of what the Senate is. And let me tell you what that is. Let me when I when I first 
Well, it wasn't the first time, but one of my early conversations with uh, Senator McConnell, and this was years and years and years ago, when I think it was during Clinton, and he was explaining um, uh, the limited capacity the Senate had to deal because they didn't have 60 votes. It was a big, big deal. 60 votes means uh, if you don't have 60, even if you have 52, 53, you're still not running anything uh, at the end of the day because you need 60 to make anything happen in the Senate, you know, choke off a filibuster. And he said to me, the purpose of the Senate, it's the Isoli analogy, we're the saucer. The House delivers us a bunch of heated stuff. That coffee is overflowing in that cup. It's so hot you couldn't touch it. It collects in the saucer and cools off. That's our role. That's the role of the United States Senator of the United States Senate rush. And he's not going to be moved off of that vision. And he's 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 not going to allow Schumer to run roughshod. He's not going to allow the media to run roughshod over the process. He's not going to surrender control of this process to the minority. Just like Schiff did not surrender control to the Republicans in his fiasco sham hearings in the Senate. Uh, In the House, they didn't produce anything. They They don't have an impeachable defense, folks. They don't have a crime. And they know they don't have a crime, so they're desperately trying to find one. So they want all these people from the administration to come testify, open-ended, doesn't matter who, doesn't matter what, just ask the questions. And McConnell's saying, that's not our role here, buddy. Things come over here to cool off. We're not going to let you start pouring hot coffee back in the saucer once you get over here. Here's a couple of uh, sound bites of McConnell from... Uh, Let's see, this is, I think, actually, I don't know if it's on the floor of the Senate or if it's a presser. Let me see. Whatever, doesn't matter. Here we have two bites, and this is the, uh, the majority leader explaining his role here. This is a unique responsibility, which the framers of our Constitution knew that the Senate, and only the Senate, could handle. Our founders trusted the Senate to rise above short term passions and factionalism. Today, we will consider and pass an organizing resolution that will structure the first phase of the trial. This initial step will offer an early signal to our country. Can the Senate still serve our founding purpose? Can we still put fairness, even-handedness, and historical precedent ahead of the partisan passions of the day? Today's vote will contain some answers. That's the, that's the cup and saucer analogies expressed in a different way. Can we serve our founding purpose? Can we rise above the short-term passions and the factionalism? Here's the second bite. We may hear a team of managers led by the House Intelligence and Judiciary Committee chairman argue that the Senate must pre-commit ourselves to reopen the very investigation they themselves oversaw and voluntarily shut down. It would be curious to hear these two House chairmen argue that the Senate must pre-commit ourselves to supplementing their own evidentiary record to enforcing subpoenas they refused to enforce, to supplementing a case they themselves have recently described as overwhelming, overwhelming, and beyond any reasonable doubt. Floor of the Senate is where these remarks are made. I really want to let me let me parse and break down the second bite here. We're going to hear a team of managers led by Schiff and Nadler. Uh, 
who are going to argue that the Senate must pre-commit to reopening the investigation that they in the House shut down. And they shut it down after saying there was overwhelming evidence and that the hour was so near and so close that they couldn't wait. They had to move forward. They couldn't call any more witnesses. They had to get going because time was of the essence, because Trump poses an existential threat, yada, yada, yada. Got to do it. Got to go now. And they pointed out that they had an overwhelming case. They had a case way beyond reasonable doubt. Now they get to the Senate, and what happened to that case? What happened to their overwhelming beyond any reasonable doubt evidence? They don't have it. They never have had any. And McConnell is not going to let the Senate be turned into a circus. He's even got a kill switch built in. We had the story yesterday that if it turns into that, and Schiff is going to try to make it that, the Democrats are going to try no matter what. So at the end of the day, McConnell's rules are going to prevail. And Schumer and his crowd are not going to be able to call witnesses. They're going to be out there trying to intimidate Republicans in the hallways and in the elevators for Republican senators. They're going to be shouting cover up and unfair, and the people are being um, ill-served, and and all of that, and it's it's just it's gonna it's gonna fall on uh, deaf ears. So let me now, after all of that, uh, set the table here. And again, uh, many of you, I'm looking at the call roster; they're all to deal with this, and I understand that. But folks, nobody nobody covered Trump's Davos speech, and Trump's Davos speech today. Reflecting his attitude about America, the great history in the last three years of economic success and the promise of more in the future is what the American people should have heard rather than this garbage here in this so-called impeachment trial. And that's why I spent the time on it, because nobody covered it. Not just because of time difference, but because CNN, PMS, NBC, ABC, NBC, CBS, no way they want Trump shown in a good light. So Adam Schiff and Pencilneck and Nadler raced to the microphone this morning to complain about McConnell's resolution, which sets the schedule for the Senate trial proceedings. Now, today is supposed to be the first day of the Senate proceedings. Last night, McConnell introduced a resolution laying out the timeline for the trial And that resolution is what's going to be voted on today. If the Senate passes the resolution, each side will be given 24 hours to argue their case over two days. The senators will then be given 16 hours for questioning. So 24 hours over two days is 12 hours a day, noon to midnight. Now, Chuck Schumer and Schiff and the rest of the Democrats are complaining that McConnell's schedule is too tight. It's too compressed. It doesn't give them enough time to jigger the results. They say that Clinton's Senate trial allowed 24 hours of arguments over four days. But the Clinton trial actually finished their opening arguments in three days, and there were four articles of impeachment against Clinton, not just two, and they were substantive. Clinton had committed crimes, such as perjury and suborning. He had committed legitimate crimes. There are none here. 
Now, McConnell's resolution, i.e. the rules, do not permit any witnesses or any new evidence until after the opening arguments are heard. At that time, if the Senate votes to hear from witnesses, it'll depose the witnesses first. We will not see that. And then vote on whether they should testify. That also ticks off the Democrats who claim it's all part of the Republican cover-up of Trump's crimes. This is exactly what Schiff did. He took depositions of people. Republicans, in some cases, were not even permitted to be in the room. And those who were in the room are not permitted to ask questions. He took depositions and determined what, if anything, they said that he wanted them to then say publicly. McConnell is simply saying we're going to have much the same kind of procedure. The witnesses will be deposed first. And then there will be a vote on whether... The testimony that's been heard should actually be given before the Senate. The Democrats are now all repeating the mantra that the Republicans are engaging in a cover-up by not calling witnesses that the Democrats demand. And these witnesses are people like Lev Parnas and John Bolton and Mick Mulvaney. They, 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 They are of the belief that there's a whole lot of administration people that can't wait to drop the dime. On Trump. Yeah, man, a lot of administration big K hate Trump and they can't wait to join this effort to get him thrown out of office. It's what they're hoping. But the Democrats Schiff over in the House, they didn't call Lev Parnas. They didn't call John Bolton when they were conducting their hearings in the House. Now, one of the reasons they said they do, well, it's going to take too much time. And the president was engaging in a cover up anyway. The president was 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 uh, obstructing. No, the president was going to go to court. Constitutionally and assert executive privilege and claim that these people should not have to. And, and, and Schiff and his boys knew that that court fight would last all the way till the summer. And so Schiff and the boys, okay, well, there's, there's ladies there too, I know, but sometimes you can't tell who's who there. Schiff and the boys said, we're not, we're not going to let them waste time. So they didn't call Bolton. They didn't call Parnas. They didn't call any of the witnesses. They're now demanding that McConnell let them call in the Senate. Speaking of cover-ups... Isn't the mother of all cover-ups how the Democrats are fighting hearing from Joe and Hunter Biden? Do you know that at one point, the round mound of the gavel, Jerry Nadler, you know what? If it comes down to hearing from Hunter Biden or no witnesses, I'm voting no witnesses. They do not want any part of the Republicans getting a chance to ask Hunter Biden or his dad or Biden's brother anything. That's the mother of all cover-ups. The mother of all cover-ups is the Democrats fighting every which way they can to keep Hunter Biden from testifying. Not to mention that this entire sham has been a concerted effort to cover up the biggest political scandal 
in the history of the country, and that is the attempt to overturn the 2016 election. That's the big cover-up. That's why all of this is happening, is to keep any investigation of all of that from, from, from occurring publicly. So McConnell has the votes for his timeline. He has the votes for his rules, for his rebel uh, resolution. He's got the 51 votes to pass his rules, his resolution, which is the timeline. 24 hours over two days, 12 hours a day. The Democrats whining and moaning and caterwauling is for show. Now, the thinking is the Senate trial should be over before February 4th, which is the date of the State of the Union address. Who knows? You know, with with the Democrats involved here and the the toss up, we don't know what the chief justice role is going to be and how he's going to come down on some of this stuff. That that remains to be seen. But I can I fairly confident can tell you that after after all of this caterwauling today, that Mitch McConnell's rules and Mitch McConnell's resolution will prevail. And the Democrats are going to be left shrieking about a cover up, and they're not going to be able to call their witnesses and. We'll see. Quick time out. Sit tight. We'll be back with more in a moment. Okay, it's about time that we uh, we snuck a phone call into the proceedings. By the way, one thing about the uh, the House and Lev Lev Parnas, who's this? You know, I, watch it, Rush. Watch it. Like I told you, I, I, I've been I've been amazed at the early days of some of Trump's staffing decisions, and I don't know how in the world Rudy gets involved with somebody like Lev Parnas, but he did, and it's what it is. But the bottom line is Lev Parnas was not covered by executive privilege, meaning Schiff could have called Lev Parnas any day he wanted, and nobody could have stopped him. Schiff could have brought Lev Parnas. He's, he's this Ukrainian guy that claims that Trump's lying every time he opens his mouth about it. Uh, and Rudy's out saying, this guy, Parnas, you know, I, I, I knew him and his wife. I'm, I'm stunned that this guy's misrepresenting everything that's happened between us. Well, somebody scared the hell out of Parnas or else is offering him a lot of money. But all that aside... Schiff could have called Lev Parnas. He's not protected by executive privilege. He's not part of the regime. He's not part of the administration. The Democrats had no excuse not to call Lev Parnas. Now, they couldn't have gotten Bolton and they couldn't have gotten Mulvaney because of executive privilege, but they could have called Parnas. uh, And they didn't. They didn't call a whistleblower. You want to talk about a real cover-up, not calling the whistleblower. The whistleblower who got all this started. Why not call the whistleblower? I'll tell you why you don't call the whistleblower, because you've got to protect Schiff. Because Schiff and the whistleblower conspired to move this whole thing off the dime before Trump had released a transcript. The whistleblower never heard the phone call. Remember, he got it secondhand, we think, from Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. Oh, oh, say, can you see? And the whistleblower's original report, it was terrifying. It was shocking. It was frightening. I couldn't stay silent. And then Trump releases a transcript. 
And then it was discovered the whistleblower first called somebody in Schiff's office, Schiff then put him in line with the inspector general. Everybody ended up being corrupted. So that's why the whistleblower is not going to be called to protect Schiff. Okay, so I, I talked through what I intended to be was the first call of the day. We'll so get to that when we get back from the break. Be patient. It's all coming up. Right on, right on. Welcome back, Rush Limbaugh. Half my brain tied behind my back in the interests of fairness. Everything must be fair. So we do fair here by me putting half my brain, not my arm, but my brain behind my back. All right, we're going to start in Kennard, Indiana with Scott. Great to have you, sir. I'm glad you waited. And hello. Hello, Rush. Uh, hello. Yeah, First hi. How, how are you doing out there, Scott? I'm just an Indiana country boy trying to get by. That's all. Well, I, I wish you the best in that. Well, I'm, I'm going to try to be brief. I'm going to try to make my point. And my point is, I'm I'm 57 years old. I've never voted in my life. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not an independent. I'm just a guy trying to make 40, 50 a year. And all these people with all this money, Nancy Pelosi has got to know in the back of her mind, she is not going to win this. They're overwhelmed. They're outvoted. Automatic. They're going to sit there and listen to her crap, and then they're going to say, no, it's over. He's been exonerated. Nothing's going to happen. But my point, my logical point is, it is possible for her turn enough votes in doubt like I, like I told your interviewer, he's a very nice man. He, It's like the guy that lives down the street, and all your neighbors are talking about him saying, oh, I heard he did this, and I heard he did this, but you've never seen him do a damn thing. So that's the doubt that she's hoping that will put enough votes in her pocket later to get somebody in there on her side. I mean, you know, I, it, now, it, hang on a minute here, Scott. I need to ask you a couple questions, and if you don't want to answer, you don't have to, so please okay. don't misunderstand. You okay. said that you've never voted. You no. are you're, you're you're how old did you say you are? I'm fifty seven. Fifty seven. You're you're you haven't ever voted. You're not Republican, Democrat, independent. You're just trying to make forty or fifty thousand dollars a year. That's, that's why why, why is that relevant to the point you're are you trying to say that hey you know i'm not even a political guy and i see that this thing is an absolute joke. It's even got me ticked off, and i'm not even a political guy. Is that your point? I think so. Just an average guy's observation. I'm for. I'm not for either side. I and I do believe that a lot of the people that voted for Trump were not necessarily Republicans. They just knew that Nancy. I mean, oh, there's no, they had no business. Totally agree with that. No, no. I just and then you mentioned Pelosi in this. So you you think you think Pelosi is not even interested in people like you? I don't think so. I don't think so a bit. And, and, and another another wild idea is if what if she does get him kicked out and then goes after Pence? What's her position? Well, that I, that it, that isn't going to happen. Uh, okay, n- it's neither of these. Anyway, no. Okay, look, I appreciate the call. I um, I think it's, I think you know the way people think and the way they speak has always fascinated me. And here, here's a guy who listens to this program, so he's obviously engaged. Uh, even though, and we'll take him at his word. 
Anybody can call here and say anything. We'll take him at his word for the purposes of the brilliant point I want to make here. He's 57. He's just trying to make 40 or 50, which implies he's not yet making 40, or may just be there and just trying to hold on to it. In other words, he doesn't want much. He's not greedy. He's just, he's just, just trying to get by. He's neither Republican, Democrat, not even independent. And yet all of this is souring him on things. And he makes the observation that, uh, hey, look, a lot of people who voted for Trump are probably like me, haven't voted before or haven't voted in a long time, not necessarily Republican. I think that's absolutely true. And then to throw Pelosi in here and to say she doesn't even care about people like me, that's dead on right. This is nothing about the American people. You are so right about that, Scott. This is all about them. They're taking all of this time over in the House of Representatives where they could be working on things that would help you make your 40 or 50. They could help you maybe have a health care situation that you could manage. No, look, folks, some people look at government that way, and they exist, so I'm just going to address it that way, okay? And your House of Representatives, the people in place that you think is looking out for you, they don't even care about you. All they care about is themselves and their own political agenda, which is get rid of Donald Trump, which means overturn the election of 2016. they got no reason to get rid of the guy other than the fact that he beat them. So here's a guy... Taking him at his word, doesn't vote, not all that involved. And some of you might say, well, then he's not worth listening to. If you don't vote, you're not invested. Not, not for this show's purposes. His take on this is fascinating to me, taking him at his word, because it's people like this. I guarantee you, not only does Pelosi not care about this guy, neither does ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSNBC. They don't give a rat's rear end about guys like this. It's all about advancing their agenda. Whatever time they can take spending on them, whatever money from the Treasury they can appropriate to use for this purpose. He is exactly right. The American people are the last reason the Democrats are doing any of this. The American people at large. Now, obviously, the Democrats have to placate, satisfy the lunatics in their base and give them a circus, but they're not nearly as big as you would like to be led to believe. So I I think this is all pretty fascinating. He has no desire to get rid of Trump. You heard him say, just like the guy in your neighborhood, everybody's talking about him, but you've never seen him do any of the stuff that people are accusing him of doing. People haven't seen what Trump has done here. They haven't proven in this Russia stuff. Put this in perspective. For two years, people like Scott in Indiana heard that Trump stole the election working with the Russians, colluded with them, might have been a traitor, and that Robert Mueller was going to finally reveal the truth. And when the moment of truth comes, it's a big fat dud. So, starting point is... They haven't been able to prove Trump did anything, and they don't stop trying to get rid of the guy. I think what this may indicate is yet another bit of evidence of how literally out of touch 
These people in Washington, the Democrats especially, are with the American people, and they have no sense of how they're being seen. They have no sense how people in this country see them. And if you are going to perform, if you're in any way a performer, and that's what these clowns are doing, they're putting on a show, you have to have a degree of empathy to understand how you're being perceived, to know whether it's working or not. They have no clue that it isn't working in terms of public opinion. And in fact, it isn't. Here's the latest on this. this is from Gallup. Gallup, are you ready? It's from yesterday. Gallup poll shows the Republican Party firmly behind Trump as he faces impeachment. 93% are opposed to a conviction and removal in the Senate. And 51% of Americans overall agree. And I think it's higher than that. I don't know. Public, the approval polls and all that. you take the individual groups... And the polling data of their overwhelming support for Trump, it's a mystery how he doesn't even get to 50% in the presidential approval polls. At any rate, Gallup uh, says that Trump's approval rating is 44%, a number that has held steady in recent months. 46% of Americans say they would like senators to vote to convict Trump and remove him from office. 51% say no. Trump's uh, impeachment figures are sharply divided along partisan lines. The bottom line is that the Democrats have not convinced the public that Trump should be tossed. The media hasn't convinced them, and I'm sure it grates on them, but they're not even, folks, they're not even aware how they're being seen. Got to take a break. Be back in a moment with much more right after this. Very quickly, Mr. Broadcast Engineer, grab audio sound by number 26. This afternoon in Davos, the World Economic Forum, Trump hosted a dinner with global CEOs, chief executive officers. After he spoke, Trump asked the CEOs in attendance at the dinner to introduce themselves and to say a few words about their companies. And a billionaire from Sudafrica, African Rainbow Minerals, it's a mining company, the founder, Patrice Mosepi. It's a man, by the way. Just, 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 oh, have you heard about this guy that got canned? A columnist? In Colorado, I think of the story. A guy got canned for writing that there are only two genders. Men and and male and female, XX and XY. There's a Y chromosome. From, he got canned. He got fired for failing to adequately understand the sensitivity of the transgender community. He got fired, lost his job because he wrote there are only two genders. And I hate to tell anybody, but there are only two genders. Anyway, wait, wait till the guy understands it. He understands why he got fired. And he knows this. And it, it amazes me how more people haven't understood this up to now. You'll see what I'm talking about when I get to it. Anyway, here is Patrice Mozepi, who is the founder of the uh, African Rainbow Minerals Mining Company, 
after Trump asked all these CEOs at the dinner he hosted to stand up, introduce themselves, and say a few things. All we wanted to say is that uh, Africa loves America. Africa loves you. Thank you very much. And, uh, Thank it's you. very, very important. We want America to do well. We want you to do well. And uh, the success of America is the success of the rest of the world. An African CEO on the day after Martin Luther King Day praising Trump, praising America. Africa loves America. Africa loves Trump. Want both of you to do well. Back to the phones, Randy in Tulsa. It's great to have you, sir. Hello. Good afternoon, Mr. Limbaugh. Uh, Long-time listener since the mid-'80s, and this is the first time I've uh, been able to call, and I just wanted to say I enjoy your show. Thank you, sir, very much. Uh, so what I told your screener was I think that this uh, effort by the Democrats to impeach the president is actually working greatly to his advantage in that, uh, one, it's showing their true colors, but two, they're, they're so busy and concentrating all their time and effort into the impeachment, they're almost ignoring the work that he's doing, and he is able to push forth his agenda, his policies, his trade agreements, his judge appointments, everything, and they're not putting up much of a fight because they're too busy trying to impeach him. Well, they on the judges, yeah, on balance, you're right. They did delay the signing of the NAFTA replacement for a while. But your overall point is that they're so focused on this that uh, that he pretty much it's not that, it's not that he has a free reign. I mean, he, he's having trouble getting legislation passed. He would love to have reformed Obamacare by now. Oh, correct. And they're standing obviously in the way of that because it's it's part of their uh, part of their presidential campaign. But, but why? Why else do you think this is as, aside from that? Do you think it's 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 um, it's helping him in other ways? Just beyond the Democrats showing their true, the Democrats show their true colors every day. It amazes me that we still have anybody votes for him. But uh, well, so- I, I think it is, and just just my small part of the world. Uh, my wife and I have a have a very diverse family and a very diverse group of friends. Uh, a lot of strong liberals, a uh, lot of liberal friends who are good friends. And we can always agree to disagree. Uh, but just in my small world, I know of two staunch, lifelong Democrats who have uh, actually switched affiliation to the Republican Party and will be voting for President Trump this term. And I think that's that's uh, I don't know how widespread that is. But for these two to to convert, I have to think the number of actual Democrats or liberals who are converting over because of this this uh, fiasco they're doing, uh, I, I think that number's got to be huge. And I think that, that President Trump is, is not only going to win re-election, but that he will win in a uh, almost a Reagan-Mondale landslide. Yeah, and a lot of people think that. You voted for him in uh, 2016? Uh, I did. because I voted against Hillary. Yeah. Uh, okay, I, I noticed the hesitation there. So you really were not a pro-Trumper, you just didn't want her anywhere near anything. That's absolutely correct, sir. And, but now uh, you're all in? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I was uh, an independent when I voted for uh, President Trump, and I, uh, I have changed my party affiliation as a registered Republican. And I've always been a Republican. Right. Uh, but but when, when President Obama was, uh, was elected, I changed it to independent. But, uh, yeah, I, we, we both, my, my wife and I both, held our nose and voted for President Trump, not knowing what to expect. Right. Well, what was it that you held your nose about? What about him that we're just, just, about? 
the the same thing that the that the libs are complaining about now his his uh, lack of presence, if you will, is he's so different than anything we were used to. Even myself, and I'm you know pushing sixty, just so different than anything we were used to. I just did not know what to expect from him. I, I didn't want a you know an apprentice uh, producer being the president, but uh, we we have both been just extremely impressed. And uh, uh, very proud to say that we did vote for him. And yeah, see, I think there's, I think there is a lot of this out there, and it's, it's untapped knowledge. The drive-by media, the Democrats, you know, folks. In in one sense, and I I think this is, and I, I said this shortly after the election in 2016. I think it's still true. I think the Democrats still don't know why Trump won. I, 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 I don't think that they... I think their arrogance is such that they don't even need... They tell themselves, we don't need to know why he won. He's not going to win again. We don't, need to, we don't need to go. And I think part of it is they don't want to know why he won because then that would require them to find out why they were rejected. But they still haven't figured uh, it out. And it's compounded by their obvious belief that they think all this impeachment stuff, they think everything they're doing, they act like they are representing majority opinion in America. They are so out of touch. It's baffling in a way. They're professionals. Back in just a second. I just saw a graphic up there that the turtle has decided to expand the... um, the evidence presentation to three days instead of two. Um, that's probably to satisfy some recalcitrant Republicans. We'll see. I've got to confirm it as well. And we have yet one hour broadcast excellence remaining. Be right back. And welcome back. Great to have you with us, my friends. Rush Limbaugh and Broadcast Excellence here as only it can be done. The EIB Network. It's great to have you. The telephone number is 800-282-2882. If you want to be on the program, the email address, I check them. Elrushbaudeibnet.us. So I subjected myself to some pain during the top of the hour break. This irritating little pencil neck creep. Adam Schiff is belly aching and whining and moaning over McConnell's lack of ability or willingness to call witnesses, and it's just so unfair, and Trump is so bad, and Trump is so mean, and he's so cheated, he's going to cheat again. Our elections are, are, are perverted or corrupted. Trump is this and that and the other thing, and it's just, it's, they have no case. They've got no case. They're desperate to try to bring up anything here to throw it against a wall and see if it'll stick. Uh, one, it, it, something to keep in mind, folks, during this entire proceeding, and I don't mean just the Senate. I mean from the moment the whistleblower came forward and Schiff began the sham basement hearings last fall. Do you realize... The president's case hasn't even been made. It hasn't been heard. They didn't, they didn't allow it in the House. They didn't allow any presidential witnesses to come in. They weren't allowed to. It was, it was, 
It was a stacked deck. The point is, the president's case is going to consist of blowing this up. I mean, you can't defend a negative. You, you, you can't. This is why an American um, justice prosecution has to prove its case. You, as the accused, do not have to prove you didn't do it. So when the president's lawyers get their chance at this, it's going to be to blow up everything the Democrats have done here, which the American people have not heard from the president's representative. They have heard it here. Uh, the American people have heard it on Fox News and some other places. But uh, Mr. Cipollone, one of the president's uh, lawyers, just pointed out in his argument for McConnell's resolution meeting the rules, that it's exactly like the resolution and schedule that happened in Clinton's impeachment trial, which passed unanimously 100 to zero. Now, I also, I have to tell you something. I, I know impeachments have been rare, and they're not going to be going forward. They're going to be commonplace now, probably. But... Comparing this to the Clinton impeachment bothers me. Just because it was done one way then doesn't mean it must be done that way always. Or just because no precedents were set then, meaning they can't be set now. The cases are different. Clinton committed crimes, for crying out loud. That's why he was impeached. And they were serious crimes. They were... They were uh, Statutory and constitutional. He lied under oath in a grand jury deposition. He lied under oath on videotape. Everybody saw it and asked other people to lie. That's what mob bosses do. There is no crime. This comparison to the Clinton impeachment procedurally, uh, I, I guess, I guess people are going going to do it. But it, it seems to me that that. We don't need to compare our case to anything. We got this a slam dunk. They don't have any evidence. They don't have an impeachable offense. And there's no reason to give them months and months and months to go through the phony fake motion of trying to make a case on television, on the Senate floor, when they have none. And that's why McConnell's rules are what they are. They're going to shut this down. There isn't any evidence. They don't have any. And the Senate's not going to be turned in. To a back alley where where investigations are taking place, which is what the Democrats are demanding and calling it fair. And if they don't get it, they're calling it a cover up. And then people say, well, the Clinton impeachment, screw what happened to Clinton impeachment. This is the Trump impeachment. It's bogus. It's totally manufactured. It's nothing more than an October surprise. It's a political event. It is opposition research. That's all this is. Because there aren't any impeachable offenses. They had their own opportunity to find the evidence, to produce the evidence. They don't have any. They didn't produce any because there isn't any. They just had a bunch of noses out of their joint civil servants and ambassadors who were left out of Trump decision making. And on that basis, Trump doesn't know what he's doing. He did not consult us and we are the experts. Nobody elected you snooty nose in the air elitists. Clinton lied under oath on a sexual abuse case. Anybody say, me too? He lied under oath in a sexual abuse case for crying out loud. 
That's today. That's the worst crime in humanity. Sexual abuse. Harvey Weinstein, all that. Jeffrey Epstein, all aside from environmental abuse. Clinton lied under oath in a sexual abuse case to protect himself and asked others to lie for him. There's nothing comparable to that in anything Trump has done or has been accused of doing. And Pencil Neck, when I turned on top of the hour to watch this, Pencil Neck used his time, and he's still using it, to argue against McConnell's resolution to run through the fallacious claims about Trump's crime, which is really why the Democrats wanted this debate, so they could present their bogus case while they had a peak audience. You know, it's the trial. It moves to the Senate. Nobody watched them in the House. These people are a bunch of dry balls, a series of dry balls. Politics is showbiz for the ugly, and Schiff and his pals on the Democrat side prove that. Nobody watched them, so they want a bigger audience here in the Senate. And I'm, I'm imagining what it must be like to be in the Senate and listen to this little snivelly-voiced, arrogant snob tell them how they don't know what they're doing, how dangerous the president is, and how they must be allowed to do it. He's lying through his teeth about what the president did, about the evidence and the lack of it. I mean, it's just... I told you it was going to be painful if you watch this, because at the end of the day, Schiff and his guys are going to get shut out. The McConnell rules are going to survive. The resolution, the timeline, and all of that. Let me move on to other things here. Uh, as the program continues to unfold before your very eyes and ease, our ears. Dean Singleton is the CEO, William Dean Singleton, the CEO of Media News Group. They are the publisher of the Denver Post. Now, the Denver Post, I, it's, it's one, of the, one of the daily news. You get a Rocky Mountain News, you get a Denver Post. And a columnist at the Denver Post says that he has been fired after disputing the idea that there are more than two sexes. John Caldara is his name. He's president of the Libertarian Independence Institute and a columnist for the Denver Post. He said that he's been fired from the Post. And he chalked it up to a difference in style that his editors found too insensitive. He's a journalist and he's been canned. Here's what he said in his statement. My column is not a soft-voiced, sticky, sweet, NPR-styled piece which employs the language now mandated by the victim-centric identity politics-driven media. Look, everybody can imitate what NPR sounds like. It's, it's one of the easiest things in the world to do. It's fake sophisticated. It's pseudo-elitist. It is pseudo-nonpartisan. It is pseudo-reasoned. It's very moderated and soft-spoken and thoughtful. And liberals just eat it up because they think 
It's the epitome of highbrow elitist sophistication. So this guy is saying, I'm not that. I'm not a soft-voiced, sticky, sweet, NPR-style piece, which employs the language now mandated by the victim-centric, identity-politics-driven media. Victim-centric is another way of saying that we have a grievance culture. And we do. The American left has given birth to a grievance culture. People that are ticked off about something, feeling like they're victims of something every day. And they are the perpetually offended and they get what they want. Whoever does anything to offend them must stop. So this guy, Kaldara, he wrote a column in which he criticized a directive in the Associated Press style book which says that sex and gender are not binary. He said there are only two sexes. I'm sorry, they're identified by an XX or XY chromosome. That's the very definition of binary. There are two of them. The Associated Press ruling that it isn't so doesn't change science. But yes, you see, it does. AP can overcome science. There's a consensus, you see, of opinion at AP that only two genders isn't correct in a political sense. He says the AP ruling that it isn't so doesn't change science. It's a premeditative attempt to change culture and policy. It's activism. He's exactly right. He's accusing modern American journalism of being activism, not journalism. This is a January 3rd column. In a column two weeks later, he railed against a 2019 Colorado law that required elementary school children to be instructed in transgender ideology. Elementary school kids, without their parents being told or consulted, are now being taught transgender ideology. Some parents were not thrilled a couple years back when during school their little ones in Boulder Valley School District were treated to videos starring a transgender teddy bear teaching the kids how to misuse pronouns or when Colorado's trans community choir sang to kids about a transgender raven. He wrote, what are the protections for a parent who feels that transgender singing groups and teddy bears with gender dysphoria might be stigmatizing for their kid? That's exactly right. Are parents not to be given any say-so in this kind of perversion that their kids are being taught? So he writes against anybody. He got, he got fired for all this. He said he was fired by the newspaper's editorial page editor, Megan Schrader. Megan told me I was the page's most read columnist, but there's now a permanently and perpetually offended class. And in order to speak, you need to use their terminology. There's a whole lot of you can't say that ism going on around. Hell's bells, is that ever true? You can't say that. You can't say that. You know how many times a day I hear that? You can't say the hell I can't. I just did. 
In an email to the Washington Free Beacon, Megan Schrader, who fired this columnist, confirmed that she had fired Caldara, but she dis- she declined to discuss the reason. She says, well, I tell you what I'm doing. I'm writing a job description as we speak to fill that position. I hope that uh, I hope conservative Colorado writers will apply, knowing that we value conservative voices on our pages and we don't have a litmus test for their opinions unless they happen to assert that there are only two genders. There's male and female. What what else is there? Well, there's cisgender. There's cis binary denial gender. There's denial cisgender, uh, touchy feely. Pick them, you know, whatever oddballs that exist, they'll assign a gender to them. So that they have a sense of value and a sense of belonging, Mr. Limbaugh. It's easy for you who think you're normal to laugh at this, but there are people who are much more diverse in their thinking and behavior, and you must recognize them. You know, I can find recognize them all day long, but you don't get to arbitrarily change science, except that they do. They get to create climate change out of something they call science, which isn't science, it's religion to them. They have totally blown up the definition of marriage. It was a specific thing, and it was not discriminatory. Oh, yes, it was, Mr. Limbaugh. It denied benefits. It denied hospital visitations. It denied all kinds of... It had to be changed for that reason. Oh, it had to be changed for money. What have you. Anyway, I got to take a brief time out, my friends, as the time marches on here the EIB Network. Sit tight, because we're coming back with much more. Ah, are you? Welcome back. Rush Limbaugh meeting and surpassing. All audience expectations every day. Texarkana, Texas. This is John. Great to have you, sir. Hello. Oh, hi there, Russ. How are you today? I'm good, sir. Thank you. Yeah, I was calling. Uh, I've just basically decided to tune out of the impeachment. Uh, the more I watch, the angrier I get just watching uh, a bunch of people just lying through their teeth. The people that just got through in the, in the House doing the very things that they're accusing uh, the Senate of doing. It's just infuriating. And so what did you do? You turned on this program. That I did. You're always positive and upbeat and uh, you're able to, to not... Exactly. Spin. Positive, upbeat, and I don't lie to be positive. And so you you had to leave that and you came here uh, in order to have normalcy restored. That's true. Yes, that positive out- outlook of what's true is a lot easier to swallow than a bunch of lies all day. I tell you, it is, it is, it's all, it's, it's been a big bugaboo of mine for a long time. I mean, everybody lies uh, to one degree or another, but in, in the, in the political realm and where everybody really, really lies, to be confronted with a serial lie that propels itself with a bunch of offshoots for three years that Trump stole the election and colluded with Russians. And so we've got to overturn the election of 2016. This, for three years, we've been subject to every lie they have been able to manufacture about this, presented to us, of course, as official evidence. I told you, I told you if you were going to watch this today, 
that you're going to have to just put up with it and realize at the end of it all that McConnell's rules are going to survive. They're going to be what guides this trial when it when it ultimately uh, ultimately happens. I mean, I've got a couple of pencil neck sound bites here. I don't even know if I want to subject you to them. Why should this guy get any more time, particularly on this program, where more people will hear him than if they're watching this stupid trial in, on C-SPAN or wherever? I probably will play it when I have more time. There's, there's something else, too. We keep hearing about witnesses. They want witnesses. Witnesses to what? There aren't any crimes that have been committed here, folks. The transcript of the phone call, which is what this is all about, has been released. There are no witnesses to an impeachment crime because Trump hasn't committed any crimes, much less in front of witnesses. Rush, what about all those ambassadors that testified? They They had no firsthand knowledge, and every one of them was asked, did any of you witness or see an impeachable offense? Dead silence. Every one of those ambassadors, ambassadorial, even Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. Oh, say, can you see? He didn't even find any impeachable offense. He just had his sensibilities bothered. So even this term witnesses is loaded. The Democrats want to be able to say after the fact, see, 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 we had the goods, witnesses to all of Trump's reprobate behavior, ready to tell all, but these evil Republicans stopped us. There aren't any witnesses. There hasn't been a crime committed here. The only witnesses there are are people who are in the Trump administration who have watched him execute his constitutional duties. And that's what they're trying to turn into crimes. Abuse of power and have witnesses. They don't have any witnesses. They're asking for haters. They want haters. They want disgruntled employees. I, I want to try to properly characterize what I just saw for you watching the impeachment, whatever this is in the Senate. And it, 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 it seriously makes me wonder about about these people and what what they literally what they thought was going to happen. I mean, even the Democrats. So Schiff just did the opening presentation for the Democrats, and I, I don't care what he said. It was it was it was all just cockamamie BS. That's not the point. What he said, he has been eviscerated by Jay Sekulow one of Trump's lawyers, and now Pat Cipollone. And they are ripping the skin off of his bones. And Nadler, too. They are describing, maybe for the first time in a lot of American people's opinion or experience, they're describing the sham that was Schiff's investigation in the basement room in the House. They're explaining how no Republican witnesses were called. They're explaining how... Uh, Democrat witnesses were ordered to only say certain things under threat of contempt if they didn't follow Schiff's instructions. Things that you know because you listen here and you've been told, but the American people watching this are hearing for the first time about the abject absence of any evidence and the total phony unfairness and bias of Schiff. Sip alone right now just ripped Schiff a new one. In every which way, about the procedures in his basement, hearing room, the skiff. But 
in addition to that, Cipollone went through how, he went almost word by word, how Adam Schiff lied to the American people about the transcript of the phone call. Now, you know about this because I've already made a big deal about it. The president released a transcript of the phone call with the president of Ukraine. It's out there. Anybody can see it. Anybody can read it. It's, it's not on a private server where you need a password. Anybody could read it. Schiff, on a day where the House Intelligence Committee was meeting, he's chairman, recites what he wants people to think is the transcript. And it's that, it's that day where he said, the president called Zelensky and said, you listen to me and you listen tight. I want you to find dirt on my opponent in 2020, Mr. Biden. If you have to make it up, I want you to make it up. You find the dirt and you don't get back to me. You don't get back to me until you find it. And I'm telling you this nine times. The president told this guy nine times to make it up if you have to, to find the dirt, whatever, and don't get back to me until you do. And furthermore, you're not getting a dime. You're not getting a dime from the United States until you give me what I want. So Cipollone goes through how this is an abject lie. It is a psychopathic lie. Schiff did say exactly what I just told you he said, and it took 30 minutes for a Republican on that committee to call him out on it. 30 minutes. I'm losing my mind here. Watch where are the Republicans objecting to this. Schiff, when he was finally called on it, I have this parody. It was satire. It was neither. He was trying to get away with lying about it, knowing the media wasn't going to call him. Well, OK, so here he comes and makes his case. Does he not think this is going to be pointed out? Cipollone just pointed out pretty much like I just did. Schiff is sitting there somewhere watching this. Do these people like Schiff and Nadler, who have lied through their teeth, conducted the, the essence of a prefab, unfair, biased, so-called investor? Do they not know that they're going to get called out here? Do they not know that they're going to finally be exposed? They have to know this is going to happen, and yet they still do this. Seculo and Cipollone are are literally stripping these two guys bare right now. In the entire way they conducted the investigation, both behind closed doors in that basement meeting in the House and the public televised hearings... And it just it just makes you wonder, Pelosi and all these people, do they not realize that on day one they're essentially dead? On day one they can they can whine and bellyache about witnesses all they want. They have just been exposed. Now they obviously are not telling themselves this. They're saying, well, nobody's gonna believe Seculo. He works for the president, he's gonna be seen as a liar. Nobody's gonna believe Cipollone. he works for the president. He's going to be seen as a liar. I, I it just, you lie through your teeth so many times and then you demand another forum where you know you're going to be exposed and you go forward with it? Uh, maybe, maybe I'm off base. It's something I wouldn't do, obviously. I'm not, but that, you know, I'm, they're not me. I'm not them.
did they, I, I don't know, did they, did they not stop to think what the president's lawyers could do with this totally bogus case they have assembled? Did they not realize it could be dismantled inside of 10 minutes in opening presentations on the Senate floor? And that while Schiff is up there calling the president a liar and an abject threat to our democracy and our elections, he gets exposed as a pathological liar and an incompetent to boot and an unfair. Well, I better, I'm running out of adjectives that are not profane. We'll see. Uh, I, I just... <laughs> Cipollone and Seculo have really done a good job. Let's just put it that way. And, and I've only had a chance to watch them, you know, three minutes at a time. Uh, max maybe four minutes on a couple of breaks. And I, I really hope somebody would make... Uh, well, no, I'm not going to say it that way. I just want to remind you again, there really aren't any witnesses. That's another loaded term. They're trying to create this illusion. The president's committed a series of crimes, constitutional and otherwise, so bad he's got to be removed. And there are witnesses. So the Democrats know the witnesses. The witnesses know who they are. we got to hear from the There aren't any witnesses. There's not a crime here. Witnesses is a loaded term. What they're looking for are haters. They're looking for more Trump haters, either in the administration or in the civil service corps, or in the deep state, the administrative state, whatever. Disgruntled employees like that parade that Schiff put forth before his committee. These are the people, well, Trump went outside the normal channels. Trump did not use the interagency group. Yeah, he didn't trust you. He had his own people in Ukraine. Ukraine's been a corrupt hotbed for all those years of the Obama administration. You people were there, ran a lot of it. They don't want to talk to you about it. And sure as hell, these people are up there testifying before Schiff's committee, lying, or or maybe not lying, but they're they're shading their testimony, make it look like they're the experts, they're the brilliant ones, they have all the answers diplomatically, and Trump's this buffoon, don't know what he's doing, is dangerous, posing great threat to the world. He didn't listen to us, didn't seek our advice. But did you see him break the law? No. Have you seen any uh, impeachable offense? No. No. No impeachable offense. Were you on the phone call? No, I wasn't on the phone call. Have you ever met president? No, I haven't met president. The witnesses hadn't met the guy. They weren't on the phone call, which is all any of this is about. (sighs) So there aren't any witnesses. If they had actual witnesses, folks, they would have called them over in the house. The witnesses would have been paraded through there and we would have had mounds of evidence based on their testimony. But they haven't called them. You know, Schiff has been saying he's got evidence that Trump colluded with Russia. He's still saying this. After the Mueller report, he's still saying it, but he's never revealed whatever this evidence he has is. He's never released it. Well, call him as a witness. Apparently, he's got evidence. Call him as a witness. Bring the whistleblower in. Call him. Yeah, I see a clock. Got to take a break, folks. I want you to hang in there. Be tough. Be patient. We'll be back. We will roll right on right after this. 
And we are, uh, we're back. Let me, let me read to you uh, one thing Cipollone said. This is not, this is not what I saw with Cipollone just dismantling Schiff and his lying representation of the transcript of the phone call. But this is one of the things that, that, that Pat Cipollone is one of the uh, lawyers, the president's team. He said, in an election year, some of you are upset because you should be in Iowa right now. I mean, Democrats, they're not allowed. Democrat senators have to stay there. They're, Biden basically has a, a Buddha judge, Mayor Pete, they have the run of the campaign trail because the Democrat senators running for president are locked in the Senate. So he's saying in the election year, some of you are upset because you should be in Iowa right now. But instead, we're here. And they're not ready to go. And it's outrageous. It's outrageous. The American people won't stand for it. I'll tell you that right now. And he's speaking here of the House managers like uh, Nadler, Pencilneck. They're not here to steal one election. He just said this from the floor of the Senate as part of the trial. They're not here to steal one election. They're here to steal two elections. It's buried in the small print of their ridiculous articles of impeachment. They want to remove President Trump from the ballot. They won't tell you that. They don't have the guts to say that directly, but that's exactly what they are here to do. They are asking the Senate to attack one of the most sacred rights we have as Americans, the right to vote, the right to choose our president in an election year. It's never been done before. It shouldn't be done now. So this is an assault on their motivation, what they're really here to do. And by the way, he's not wrong. They have Schiff did make a motion to have the Senate do what they could to remove Trump now. Get him out of there now so he can't be on the ballot in November because he represents an existential threat because he's already said, this is Schiff again, Schiff said that Trump has already said he's going to cheat again. He's happily out there saying he's going to cheat again. That's what the phone call was about. He's lying through his teeth about it. I'm, I'm wondering, how can there be any undecided senators? How can anybody like Cory Gardner, Mitt Romney be watching any of this and want to give these clowns the moment of a time of day. But Cipollone called out their true motives. Get Trump off the ballot. Second election they want to steal. They failed in overturning the 2016 election. They're trying to get Trump off the ballot for this coming election. Which... Uh, happens to be true. Well, we've come to the um, screeching halt end of the busy broadcast today. Just a couple of things here uh, to warn you about. The drive-by media is all ecstatic because they think McConnell has already caved by um, giving an additional day to present cases. Two days, it was the original, 12 hours a day, uh, 24 hours total. He's now moved it to three uh, many liberal journalists see he's beginning to cave. He knows that he's about to lose four Republicans. That is not the case. In fact, what I think you're going to hear some about, it's going to be downplayed, but there are some Democrat senators who are getting fed up. 
Schiff had the opportunity to call all of the, he's the committee chairman over there. He's the intelligence committee chairman. He could have called these witnesses any day he wanted and he didn't. And now he's come into their chamber and preaching to them and demanding they've got a duty to do it. And some of them, some of the Democrats, you're not, I'm telling you, you're not going to hear this, but it's, it's reverberating there. It's percolating. Some Democrats said, well, what the hell is our job for? You, 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 it, it's one thing that is Democrat unity, but for some little pea brain to come over from the House and start chastising the Senate for not doing its duty when Schiff could have called these witnesses and now putting the onus on them to do it. It's not like media wants you to think McConnell is caving and that the four Republican recalcitrants are maybe going to win today and Schumer may end up running the trial. Don't fall for any of that. It's a usual attempt to dispirit you, depress you, and all of that. Anyway, we'll be back here tomorrow. Don't miss it.